Amen. All right. Thank you for the good singing. You can find Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 25. As you find that, um, one more quick announcement. There is no Bible tonight. We are on break for a few weeks from Bible school. So just be mindful of that. No service tonight. And uh, Garrett also mentioned becoming all things to all men. By all means, you might save some. Um, it, before going to Malawi this trip, I sat in my office trying to think in Chichewa again, which it, I mean, many of you, I mean, you grew up with two languages, some of you three languages, and maybe it's not as big a challenge to go from one language to another in your mind, but it, it took some effort to get my Chewa mind going again, and as soon as it does, it just comes with a certain kind of rhythm and flow, and all of a sudden, my preaching in Malawi doesn't look like my preaching here, right? I mean, Garrett could testify, it's, it's just different, and, and that's okay, um, you need to know your audience and how, how to best communicate to them. But now I've got to turn my mind back to calm down. Because in Malawi, man, I'm all over the place. <laughs> I had to stretch before I preached there. <laughs> so today I hopefully can save my breath just a little bit. But it's good to be back. Good to be preaching to you folks again. It was great to be there. It was great to see the spiritual hunger. But, and, and thank God. Uh, to, next week I'll tell you more about the, how the churches are doing there. Try to give you an honest report on that. But I, I think to, to say that they're doing well is a true statement. Um, but they're churches. Churches have people. People have problems. <laughs> right? But nevertheless, you can be blessed to see God working despite the problems. And it really did. And I'm, I'm doubling up on what Garrett said. It, it made me so appreciative to get to come back. And, and guys, I love getting to come to church with you. It is an honor to get to preach to you and, and thank you for bringing ears to hear and open hearts. And I know I'm saying that collectively and perhaps you have an off Sunday here and there as I do, but uh, it's a real blessing to be a part of this church, it really is. All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'd like to preach to you this morning a sermon called A Lawyer and His Loophole. A Lawyer and His Loophole. 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. Now, a lawyer is a scribe, just so you know. Same thing. Those, uh, perhaps there was a small difference in how those two things operated, but a scribe is somebody who studied the laws of God all the time, and a lawyer is doing the same thing. Right, so this lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? I like that. How do you answer questions? Important questions to life. What's the Bible say? See how Jesus does that? What's the Bible say? Verse 27, and he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. I mean, this scribe, he knew what the Bible said about this topic. Right? So he's not, he, he didn't ask Jesus this question to learn anything. We saw it in verse 25. He's tempting Jesus. He's testing him. Verse 29, but he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh-huh. Verse 30, and Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. It says, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Jesus wraps it up with this closing thought. He asked him a question, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Verse 37, he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. So let's pray for just a moment, and then let me introduce this passage to you, maybe in a slightly different way than you've looked at it before. But let's ask for God's help on this. Let's pray together. Father, help us this morning. What a blessing to be here this morning. Lord, I, I'm, my soul is overjoyed. My heart is full. My cup is filled to overflowing. Thank you for what you're doing in Malawi. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. We ask that this morning, God, you would... Let the blessings be fresh, Lord. We don't want to run off of uh, last week's blessings. Give us something fresh this morning. Speak to our hearts. Please fill me with your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have preached out of this particular uh, passage a handful of times. And I think you're very familiar with it. Most people in the world know the terminology, the Good Samaritan. And you, you know this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Just for curiosity's sake, did you know that the Bible never calls him good? It just says a certain Samaritan. Nevertheless, good is a perfectly fine adjective. I have nothing against that. But this is the story of the Good Samaritan. And we, we use this phrase, right? If, if a stranger helps somebody in need, he was a Good Samaritan. So even lost people, people that have never read the Bible uh, most of the time, they're going to know what Good Samaritan means, and it comes from this story. Now, have you ever seen Russian nesting dolls? Does everybody know what those are? You have a, a doll inside a doll that's inside a doll, that's it, right? When I read and, and studied and meditated on this passage, prayed about this passage, I, I believe the Lord kind of unfolded it to me as if it was rushing, Russian nesting dolls. It, it's a story within a lesson, within a conversation, right? A story wrapped in a lesson, dipped in a conversation. I mean, that, so I, I want to, by the grace of God, I, I don't want to over-preach each section of this because we could just take three weeks to talk about the story, the lesson, and the conversation. I'd like to break it down as succinctly as I can and unpack the nesting dolls if I can. I want to start off talking about the story that Jesus uses to answer this man's question. All right, so we're going to talk about the story. Then we're going to move out a little bit, zoom out a bit, and talk about the lesson, a very important lesson that I think should be learned from, from what we read. And then we'll zoom all the way out and look at that conversation and what the passage is actually about. Yes, we learned some great things from the Good Samaritan story, that parable. But this passage is actually not about that. That was the answer to the question that was raised. So let's, let's begin with that innermost doll. Let's unpack this thing. First point, the Good Samaritan. All right, let's just go back to verse number 30. And let me point out a couple of things that we've just read. 
Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. There is a, a huge elevation difference of about a thousand meters when you go from Jerusalem down to Jericho. The road is a long, winding road. You can still go see the basic shape of this road even today. It's about 27 kilometers long. And most people said if you walked at a, at a regular pace, you could walk the whole thing in about four hours. And this particular road was very well known for being filled with thieves. It was common that people would be robbed on this road. Hence, this story would carry a lot of weight. It would be very familiar to anybody that has lived and moved in this area before and moved about. It says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, there is obviously a physical thing to learn there. We still use the phrase today, that, that, that he beat him half to death. We say that, he beat him half to death. It comes from the Bible, leaving him half dead. Now, Jesus is referring to the physical aspect of this. However, this is where we can get into some preaching. Because when we come into this world, we start off at a high position. We start off with no sins on our record but from the day you're born, it's, it just goes down and down and down. And there's sins and there's thieves and there's problems. And, and you just go down and down and down. By the time you end up, you're wounded. Your raiment is gone. But your raiment is your righteousness in the Bible. And that gets stripped away from you and you're left half dead. The thief comes but to steal and to kill and to destroy. And once the devil and sin gets finished with you, your body is still alive, but your spirit is dead. So there's a great picture in here about a sinner falling into spiritual trouble. Now Jesus, I think, is simply communicating that this man was beaten half to death. But still there's some spiritual things you can dig from the passage. Verse 31, by chance there came down a certain priest that way. The priest in the Old Testament, he represented the people towards God. Right? A prophet was the other way around. A prophet represented God to the people. Right? The prophet would stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. So he's communicating from God to the people. The priest, on the other hand, when a, a broken sinner comes to the priest with a sacrifice, the priest then puts that sacrifice on the altar and says, God, this sinner is sorry. So he's representing the people towards God. This priest, it says, by chance. Make sure that you mark that down. Jesus is acknowledging that tufalach is a real thing. Coincidences do happen. This priest did not mean to be there. There's no indication that God had divinely ordained it. But nevertheless, sometimes two paths cross. An opportunity presents itself for you to be a help and a blessing. By chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Let's get the mental picture right. He's walking on one side of the road, and he sees this man beaten half to death, clothing been stripped away. I mean, he's in a bad case. What does the priest do? This man that has been deployed by God to, to represent the people to God. What does he do? He goes, oh dear. Oh, 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 oh. And he gets to the other side. He gets as far away as he can from doing anything about that. He saw the need. And not only did he just pass it by, he actually got farther away from that man. Verse number 32, and likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place. All right, so the, the sons of Aaron, those are the priests. A Levite, 
It's kind of the extended family of the priesthood. You can think of them as the deacons of the Old Testament. They helped the priest with sort of the smaller jobs and cleaning up the temple area, those type of things. Likewise, a Levite, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Mental picture. The Levite gets there, whereas the priest saw it from a bit of a distance and got to the other side. This Levite saw the, and, and, and saw this guy's in a bad shape and got a little close to him and looked and went, oh my goodness, yo, this is bad. Yuta, there's my word, yuta. Oh, oh. And then he said, okay, and did the same thing and gets over to the other side thinking maybe those thieves are still nearby. I don't want to fall into the same bad situation, have the same accident that this guy had. Let me get a, as far away from this problem as I can. Do you see how Jesus is taking a, a bit of a, a swipe here at the religious community? Are you picking up on that? And, and that's what this lawyer, he's part of the religious community as a scribe. You remember Jesus would often say, ye hypocrites, ye Pharisees, ye scribes, right? He put them in the same group. Very religious. They knew the Bible. So much so that they used the Bible to get around loving people. Right? I want you to understand why Jesus is giving this story. But the priest and the Levite, rather than having any care or concern go as far away as they can from doing anything about it. Friend, perhaps you have seen the need of lost sinners in this world. And my question to you is, do you get away from helping them? Or do you come in closer and examine and find out what can I do to make a difference in this person's life? Because there are needs all around us. At the very minimum, people need to know that Jesus cares about them. And, they, and the best way to communicate that is by telling them the gospel. So in verse number 33, it says, A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, here's the difference. He had compassion on him. The Bible says he had compassion. As I was studying in Chichewa, I was actually impressed by, you know, you can learn a lot of things with just comparing notes from another language. In Chichewa, this is anaguidwan dichisoni, which means he was gripped with sadness. What a good way to explain, because they don't have a word for compassion. They don't have a word. So they had to explain what compassion feels like. You are gripped by sadness, by grief. And that's what's happened to this man. He saw what happened to him and and. And he had compassion. First, you have to see the problem. This is why we tell you about various mission fields. This is why we read you prayer letters and hang up pictures and, and try to expose you to what's going on out there. Then the next thing, hopefully, that happens is you are moved with compassion. It grips hold of you, and you realize how great a need there is. But look what happens next. You you've look, then you feel something, and then you go. In verse thirty. Uh, four, and he went to him. So this guy, just like the other ones, he saw that guy suffering, and, and instead of being scared and thinking about himself and running to the other side, he was moved with compassion for that guy, not thinking about what danger might befall him, and he goes to the guy, and he gets closer to the situation. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds. He said, let, let, let me see where they've hit you. 
Let me see where they've cut you. Do you know sinners out there are broken by what they've gone through? They're they're hurting emotionally, spiritually, perhaps even physically. This this Samaritan now is taking care, being mindful of each wound. How can I help close that up? Let's get you some closure. Let's help you get over these things. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn and took care of him. You know that somebody cares when they're willing to get their resources involved. That's a great, that's a great indication of how much you care. I'm not saying it's the only thing. I'm not saying it's the only way we judge this. But the old saying is, put your money where your mouth is. You want to talk about how much you care? Well, let's see it. Let, let's see it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This man said, let me take the oil and wine that I was carrying for myself. These are medical things. He was, this is like a first aid kit that, from the first century that you carry around. Let me pour in the oil and wine. I'll put him on my own beast. So, so instead of me riding, I'll walk and put him on the beast and take care of him. Verse number 35. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. Two pence is two days salary. So just think in your life how much that would be. Two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. He's willing to see this through as far as he can. And then said, listen, I've got to get on my journey. I can't take this any further. I've done what I can, but I'm going to leave him in your hands. And listen, whatever it costs to take care of him, whatever the sacrifice, put that on my account. There's a great sermon in this. Do you realize that Jesus is that good Samaritan? And that when he finds you half dead on your road of life as you were going down, 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 and the thief that is Satan and sin found you, left you for dead, Jesus came where you were, gripped with grief, gripped with sadness, felt sorry for you, and instead of running away from you, ran towards you, poured in oil and wine, put the Holy Spirit in you, washed you in His blood, and starts helping you to get over those wounds, whatever they were. You realize what He does next? He puts you on a beast. And He says, I will get you to a place where you can get some full-time help. He, he puts you in His car and brings you to church. He brought you to the church. That's the inn. And, and, and he says, okay, Mr. Innkeeper, Mr. Church, church members, take care of this sinner. I found him on the road, and, and now I've done what I've, I can. I've poured in the oil and the, and the wine. I've put the spirit and the blood on this guy. But he's going to need some full-time attention to get over these wounds. I'm going to go back to heaven, and I'm going to leave him in your care, church. And if, if you spend anything extra, listen, I'll provide certain amounts of grace. I'll give you something to get started. But if you go out of your way and sacrifice something extra to help this sinner, when I come again, I'll reward you for that. I'll repay you for that. Jesus is this good Samaritan. You know what happens now that he's gone back to heaven and he left that broken, half-dead sinner with the innkeeper? You know what the people in the inn do? We, the next time we're out on the road and we see somebody hurting, we know that's how you ought to take care of people. And then we go get more people and bring them to the inn. And the inn becomes a hospital, a spiritual hospital. 
You know what happens in hospitals? People that are broken can recover and people get born. That's where you go. That's where you go, right? So, so, that, so in a church, we, we invite broken sinners to come in and, and get some help. We invite people to come in and, and be born again. So I, I'm giving to you some ideas you can get from the story. So if you just looked at those few verses, that's the first little nesting doll. That's the first part. There's, I think, some great pictures in that. But now let's look at the next part. There's the Good Samaritan. That's the story. But now there's a lesson. And guys, if it's okay, we're going to get slightly deep for just a moment. So keep your Bibles ready because we're going to look at a handful of verses. I want, you, I want to send you home today having learned something, not just a few uh, neat allegories to think about, but we're going to go a little deep. There's a good question. We talked about the Good Samaritan. Now let's talk about a good question. Verse 25, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus said, what does the Bible say? He gives them the right answer. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt what? What was the question? What shall I do to inherit eternal what? Life. How do I get life? This do, and thou shalt live. Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, go and do Thou likewise. This is a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There is not a more important question to answer. Now, Jesus did not say this. When asked the question, Jesus did not say, you need to just look forward to the cross on which I'm about to die. Are, are you with me? I don't want to lose you on this. Like I said, we're going a little bit deep here. This is a little more teaching than it is preaching, but it's important. Jesus did not say, in just a few months, I'm going to die on a cross, and that will pay for your sins, so just believe that I'm going to do it, and everything will be fine. You'll have eternal life. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, what does the law say? This man gave him the right answer. This do, and thou shalt live. How do you inherit eternal life? According to Jesus right here, you have to do something. And, and what he said is you have to do what the law says. Do you see that? Hold your place here and get the book of Ezekiel, if you would, please. Ezekiel chapter 18. All right, let's see how much you've remembered from your discipleship days. Guys, you, plenty of you have been through discipleship. You know this, right? Where, at what event in the Bible does the New Testament start? Does it start when Jesus is born? No. Did it start when he was baptized? No. Did it start when he began to preach? No. Where did it start? That's it. I'm hearing some people say when he died, some people say the cross. You're both right. I mean, it starts at the cross. Now, that's very important because... It's very popular for people to say, well, in the Old Testament, people looked forward to the cross and they got saved by looking forward to the cross. People in the Old Testament did not know about the cross. It hadn't happened yet. No one was going around preaching, just believe that Jesus will do this. They didn't know that. Jesus' own disciples were blown away when he told them, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise again. They said, no, what? No. The Messiah is going to, no, they couldn't believe it. As a matter of fact, after Jesus rose from the dead, you know what they, you know what the Bible says? They didn't even believe it then. <laughs> and it had already happened. 
So the idea that people in the Old Testament are looking forward to the cross in order to have eternal life, guys, that, that is not how we read it in the Bible. All right, Ezekiel 18, what did they have to do? Verse 5, Ezekiel 18 and verse 5. I'm going to say this and then we'll read the verses. The people in the Old Testament had to do the best they could with what God had revealed to them. Okay? Now, if you're a Jew, that means the law. If you're a Gentile, that means your conscience. Okay? But either way, whatever God has revealed to you, you have to do the best you can to do right with what God has revealed to you. Yeah? And when we read in Luke chapter 10, this do and thou shalt live, you have to remember Jesus has not died yet. They are still working in an Old Testament setting. Right? So I've given you the story, and I've tried to preach that a little bit. Now I'm giving you a lesson. Do you see the nesting dolls coming, coming open now? Okay. So Ezekiel 18, verse 5, God said, But if a man be just, Yellow would say, Oprah, he's an upright man, just. If a man be just and do that which is lawful and right, and hath not eaten upon the mountains, that's an idolatrous thing they would do. Neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, so he didn't abuse people in business, neither hath taken any increase that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just. Look at it. He shall surely what? Live, saith the Lord God. You don't read anywhere in there where he says, look forward to the cross of Jesus and you'll live. He says, if you want to be counted just, and if you want to have life, then you have to do something. Do you see that? Right? Nothing too deep there. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, same chapter. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and, what's the next word? Do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely what? Live and shall not, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Listen to this. In the Old Testament, the best they could do is achieve their own personal righteousness. Why? The righteousness of God had not yet been manifested to the people. It wasn't available yet. Who is the righteousness of God? Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. You guys remember this in the New Testament? For God the Father hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the righteousness of God is not available until Jesus shows up, dies for us, sheds his blood. His blood can wash away our sins, and now God can rightfully say, this man is clean. He's right. He declares us righteous. That's justification. We get it by faith because we can look back to what God has already done by sending his son, Jesus Christ. These people didn't have that. So here's the deal for them. Do, what I've do the best you can with what I've told you, and I promise I'll give you life. Now, here here's an interesting question. We're going deep. Going deep. Deep. Here we go. Could their work save them? Yes, no. Not really. Because it depends on what you mean save. 
They had to do something. They had to. But was that enough in and of itself to get them all the way up to heaven, to stand in the presence of God without any sin? No. No, it wasn't. So what they did is said, okay, well, God, you told us to do these things. We, we did the best we could with what you told us. We, we did the best we could with what you had revealed. So you, you promised us life. So we did our part. Then God had to do his part. The Bible says, and this life, eternal life, is in his son. They did their part, and then they had to wait for God to send his son to provide eternal life. All right, so t- take your Bible and come to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1. You see, in the Old Testament, they could do some things that would qualify them for God's promise that one day God would give them life, but they also knew that no matter how hard we try, we still have to keep bringing sacrifices to the altar over and over again. You know what that taught them? We still need God's mercy. Our good works are not enough. We still need mercy. That's why they kept bringing sacrifices. Hebrews 10 verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto what? Perfect. It wasn't complete back then and they knew that. But they did as much as they could with what they had. Verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged, right, should have no more conscience of sins. They would say, well, this sacrifice I gave was enough. That's it. I'm saved. None of them said that. Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance, again, made of sins every year. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should do what? Take away sins. Listen, in the Old Testament, God would say, okay, you've done wrong, you gave the sacrifice, you've stopped your iniquity, you're trying to do right, you're obeying my law. Okay, I forgive you. But they had not paid for their sin. God forgave them, but somebody still has to show up and pay for their sin. So this is the difference between forgiving the sin and taking it away. Right? I can say, if you, if you take my money, and you say, Pastor, I stole your money. And I, and, and I say, okay, I forgive you. And you don't pay me the money back. That means I'm paying for it. Right? I, I'm eating the loss. Does that make sense? You took my money. You didn't give it back. I can say, okay, I forgive you. You apologized. But then somebody's got to pay for that. I'm absorbing the loss. That's what God did throughout the Old Testament. He forgave him, forgave him, forgave him, forgave him, and then eventually said, somebody's got to pay for this, and he showed up and absorbed the loss. Said, give me all the payment. I will die. And the Bible says, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The blood of bulls and goats should never, could never take away sins, but the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, could Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. We're learning now. We're in the lesson part of the nesting dolls. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, 
But by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You know what redemption is? Paying for something. It's the, it's the payment that is made to buy something back. He purchased eternal redemption because the, the bulls and the goats couldn't get you that. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the uncleans sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve, oh please look at this part, to serve the living God. Jesus applies the blood, he pours in the oil and the wine, puts you on the beast, gets you to the inn, wants to... Heal the wounds so that you can serve the living God. He saves you so that you can serve Him. Jesus is not here this morning peddling cheap salvation. You, you want to get out of hell free card? Here you go. Just take it. Just... Jesus saves us so that we can serve Him. Does that make sense? If you come to Jesus today and say, yes, I'd like that free gift of eternal life. Uh, please just give me the free gift I have no intention of serving you. I have no intention of changing my life. Just give me the free gift. That is not faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's you trying to find a loophole, trying to find an easy way to inherit eternal life. And that's not what the deal is. He says in verse 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. Jesus is the one who can bring in a new deal. Watch this. In the Old Testament, if, if all they were doing was looking forward to the cross, that's the same deal. That, that's the same deal as us. We're just looking back to it. People will try to tell you there's no difference on either side of the cross. That's just wrong. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a New Testament. He brought in a New Testament. Keep reading. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. Those are the sins that were committed by those Old Testament people. They died as righteous as they could. And you know what they had to do? They had to wait for Jesus to show up and make the payment. And they could not get life until Jesus showed up and gave His life. But they put themselves in a position for God to fulfill His promise. So it says, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal what? Eternal what? Eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance. What, what are they inheriting? Come back to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. What are they going to inherit? Verse 25, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The people in the Old Testament, guys, I want you to understand. I don't want you to be confused when you read Luke 10. Because when you read it, you say, okay, but Jesus says here, I have to keep these laws if I want to have life. And yes, he's talking to a Jew in the Old Testament, and that's what they had to do. But he didn't have the cross to go to. So he said, this do and thou shalt live. So he has to do the best he can. And then God promises life. But life is only given 
through Jesus. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, you understand those people in the Old Testament can't be saved if Jesus doesn't show up and die for those sins. So they also need Jesus. But it's a little different than our situation. They did the best they could with what they had. Now what do we do on our side? The same question gets asked in Acts chapter 16. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul did not say, well, what does the law say? Paul did not say, well, do your best to keep the law. Paul pointed to Christ. Hold hold your place in in, uh, Luke 10, but I want you to see this in Acts chapter 26. And don't worry, we're going to come out of the lesson and we're going to get back to a little preaching here in just a moment. Hey, my job as a pastor is to feed the flock, right? I can't give you lollipops every Sunday. Sometimes you need bryflace. Here he is bryflace. Eh? Bryflace. And you can't say bryflace. Bryflace. You have to say it with a deep bryflace. Acts 26, verse 20. Acts 26 and 20. What must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So does that mean all I have to do is just believe that Jesus died on a cross, rose again? That's it? That's it? All I have to do is say, okay, Jesus, give me the free gift. Is that it? The Bible says this in Acts 17. In the Old Testament, those Gentiles that didn't have a Bible, they did some strange things. You know what the Bible says? God winked at it. You know why? They didn't have a lot of revelation to work with. So God was very patient with that. But now, listen to this part. Listen to this part. But now commandeth all men everywhere that they should repent. They have to repent, not just take a cheap gift and then run off without changing. You come to Christ, friend, you have to be repenting. There has to be some godly sorrow to say, God, I'm sorry that I've offended you and I do not want to be the same person I've always been. I want you to change me. Listen. For that Old Testament person, were their good works involved with their salvation? Yes. They had to do those good works, die righteous, and then wait for Jesus to show up and pay for their sins, right? And then the promise was applied to them because they did what God told them to do. So they received the inheritance of eternal, that, that eternal inheritance, they received it. Is our good works involved in our salvation? Be careful. Be careful. The answer is yes. We we do not do good works to get saved. We do not do good works to stay saved. But we do good works because we're saved. And a person who comes to the cross with this attitude, Jesus, I want free salvation, but please don't ask me to do X, Y, Z. Friend, you're not being saved. You're looking for a loophole. True godly repentance you, you repent to salvation that you don't need to repent of. You'll never regret saying, God, I'm sorry for who I am. Make me what you want me to be. Acts 26, verse 20. This is what Paul did, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do what? Do works. Meet for repentance.
Good works are part of our salvation. It just comes afterwards. So think of this as the cross is the hinge point. All eternity hinges on the cross. You do good works, cross comes and finishes your salvation. Whereas in the New Testament, you come to the cross, you get saved, and that allows you to do the good works. But either way, there is good works involved. Be sure of that. Come back to Luke chapter 10 now. Luke chapter 10. I think, I think that, you know, sometimes we, we say, we give the gospel to somebody, and we say, well, do you want to pray and receive Christ as your Savior? And guys, please, I, there's no problem with somebody saying a sinner's prayer. I mean, you can call it what you want, but if that person is genuinely calling out, Lord, please save me, that, that's, if it's genuine from the heart, amen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. But obviously you have to mean it. Obviously you have to be coming with the right intentions, right? Do we have to say that? You know that. You know that. I'll tell you a really good sinner's prayer. Paul sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. And once he's convinced that that is Jesus, you know what he says? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's a good sinner's prayer. Because he knows, I want to get saved so that I can do something for the Lord. So I, I want you to understand that. That's the, that's the lesson. We've had the story. Now we've had the lesson. When we read Luke 10, Jesus is telling this Jew in the Old Testament what he had to do to get eternal life. You and I, we go to the cross. We get life through Jesus Christ, and that leads to good works. For by grace you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. The works are still there, it just comes after you get saved. Amen? Are we good on that? All right, second nesting doll unpacked. Now, third one. We had the good Samaritan. We had a good question. And now Jesus is going to give a good answer. Luke 10, verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He, he, this was the common approach for the scribes and lawyers and Pharisees of this day, the religious community. This is how they approached that command, love your neighbor. They said, yes, 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 your neighbor. That's other people that are also living right, living like us. That's your neighbor. But those Samaritans, those, those people that don't, they don't have the same culture and the same language and they look a little different. We don't have to love them. They're not my neighbor. Those publicans and those harlots, those are wicked people. And the Jews would actually turn to a, a, a verse in Psalms and they would use this. And David wrote it. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. The scribes would use that to say, you see, it's okay if we hate some people. We don't have to love everybody. We just have to love our neighbor. And we get to choose who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is whoever we like. It was a loophole. Yes, David did hate some people with perfect hatred. But did you know the same thing is said of God? There are times in the Bible you'll read a verse in Psalms or in the book of Hosea where God says, I abhor that person. I hate that person. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I what? Hated. And at the same time, 
that same God who cannot stand what that person has become is ready to love that person, forgive that person, and ever lives to make intercession for that person. Love your enemies. Pray for them because that's what God's been doing since he created mankind. The Jews, on the other hand, were looking for a way around it. He, in verse 29, willing to justify himself. He did not come to Jesus asking the question so that he could understand salvation better. He asked the question because he wanted Jesus to approve his loophole. To say, please tell me that the way I am is enough. Because I don't want to change the way that I am. This is the religion I was raised with. This is how I've always done it. This is how my people understand it. It is my culture. So isn't that enough? Jesus, just tell me that it's enough. And and Jesus gives him this story to prove to him that his understanding is completely wrong. This is one of the best passages in the Bible, by the way, against racism. Did you know that? You think that these Samaritans are worthy to be hated and that you're right to hate them. And Jesus said, okay, verse 36. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Which one was the neighbor? Not the priest, not the Levite. That's who the lawyer would count as his neighbor. He said, which one do you think is the neighbor? He said, the Samaritan. This guy hated Samaritans so much he couldn't even get the word Samaritan out of his mouth. Verse 37. <laughs> Who was it? The one that showed mercy. <laughs> you realize what Jesus is doing here. The one that was a true neighbor. The one that showed love was the Samaritan. So, so Jesus is telling this lawyer, you need to love that Samaritan. Not only do you need to be like him, go and do that likewise, you need to love him. Whew. Do you realize how humbling this would be for this lawyer to go back to his crowd, his religious community and say, church, because he'd step in and say, synagogue, we've had it wrong this whole time. It would be the same as, as, as a, a, a doper going into that sister church and saying, Yalla, this whole claim to it, that's not enough to save anybody. That doesn't make you a Christian. Do you realize how hard that would be? That, do you realize how humbling that would be? Sure, that would take a lot to say, I've had it wrong this whole time. You know, it's, a, it's abundantly clear. You must be born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. That's clear, isn't it? Book of Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know what people do? They, they, this is so clear. You must be born again. You must be saved. They go, well, I got baptized when I was a baby. Is that enough? What you're doing is trying to say, Lord, 
Here's what I can offer you. Let's negotiate. Here's what you demand. Here's what I'm offering. Let's see if we can meet in the middle. You don't negotiate your way into heaven. And this is a Jew negotiating with him. (laughs) They know how to negotiate. And Jesus isn't going to budge an inch. (laughs) Well, I got baptized. Is that good enough? Does that make me born again? Does that make me saved? The Pachas threw him municipality water can never save anybody. (laughs) Anybody. It might send you the other way. I've asked many a person about it, and they said, well, you know, I'm a Christian because I got confirmed. I think y'all said the belatedness. I, I, I've done the belatedness. You stood behind a microphone. They asked you a few questions. Yes. Stem solved. You received Jesus? Yes. Okay, now, now listen, if you really meant that, if you understood what that whole process was about, If it was genuine from your heart and you were, praise the Lord. But do you know how many people go through that process and think, well, that was enough. You must be born again. You must be saved. The Bible doesn't say you must be sprinkled as an infant or go through belatedness to inherit eternal life. So I went on a missions trip. I'm involved in church. I went on a missions trip. Garrett, don't worry, I'm not talking about you. (laughs) Did you know John Wesley, that great preacher, went on a mission trip before he got saved? That's how he heard the gospel. He got on a boat and went from merry old England all the way to Georgia in America, ministered to people, got back on the boat, and on his way back to England, he heard Moravians singing in the middle of a massive storm. They thought they were all going to die, and the Moravians were excited because they were about to go see Jesus. And John Wesley said, you guys have something I don't have. And they witnessed to him in the boat. Going on a missions trip doesn't save you. You say, well, I've always been a Christian. I was born in a Christian family. Well, that, by, by that logic, if you were born in a hospital, that makes you a hospital. <laughs> Just because you're born in a Christian family doesn't make you Christian. I joined a church, praise the Lord. That's not a bad thing, but that doesn't make you saved. That doesn't give you life. Well, I prayed a prayer. Amen. I'm glad you perhaps said the right words. But are you saved? Are you born again? That's the question. Well, it might. Here we go. Here we go. This is the big one. Here's my grand finale. Here we go. Big one. Well, you see, in, in my culture, this is how we do it. See, I, I, I know what you're saying. But that, that's, that's your culture. That's your way. No, no. It's not my way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me, you have to enter into a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting, humbling yourself, saying, what I was trusting to save me is not right, and the only thing that can save me is what you did for me, and Lord, I'm not entering into this cheaply, what would thou have me to do? He has commanded all men everywhere to repent. You know what King Saul did? God told him, wipe out the Amalekites. Remember that? Wipe that, kill all the sheep, the oxen, everything. Remember that? And after he got back, Samuel met him, the prophet Samuel. And he said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I've done everything God told me to do. 
And in the background, ma, ma, sorry, that was a cow, if you didn't know. It's like a very sick cow, but you understand. I don't speak cow. <laughs> and Samuel said, what is this bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Because he was supposed to wipe all them out. And you know what Saul did? Willing to justify himself. Willing to prove that his way was right. Well, I know God said to do it that way, but I had a good idea. I thought it would be nice to spare the king and to spare the best of the flock so that I could sacrifice them to the Lord. And he had good intentions, but it was wrong. Samuel said, listen, it's better to obey than to sacrifice because rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. You have rejected the word of the Lord. And therefore, God has rejected you. You can try to make up your own way back to God. That is not the way to get eternal life. You'll never be able to out-negotiate the Lord and justify yourself before the Lord and say, I thought what I did was enough. This is how I understood the passage. This is what I thought those verses meant. No, it meant exactly what it said. You must be born again. Even if you've been coming to Bible Baptist Church for 10 years, if you have never properly entered into that relationship, if you've never come to Jesus Christ and said, please save my soul, I want to enter into an everlasting relationship with you. If you've never done that, friend, you're not going to get to heaven and negotiate your way in, in a side door in the back door of heaven. You must be born again. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. This lawyer thought he had a loophole. He thought it was all right. Well, yeah, I know you said that I have to love people, but I'll love based on how I feel like loving. Well, okay, I know you said born again, but I have my own way of doing that. But there's only one way. You must receive Christ because this life is in His Son. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. So my question to you now, do you have the Son of God living in your heart? Friend, there is no other way. There's no other way. I'm not going to keep you long with an invitation this morning. I do want, though, to ask if you're here and you've never been born again, you've never been saved, you've maybe been religious, but you've never been saved. I, I, know, I know this is, takes a lot of courage to do what I'm about to ask but humble yourself that's what this guy had to do he had to humble himself say okay I was wrong would you be willing to put your hand up no one's looking I'm not going to embarrass you you can just put your hand up you can put it right back down and say preacher pray for me I don't think I've been saved thank you I appreciate that anybody else say preacher just pray for me I, I'm not I mean, I hear that born again thing. Thank you. Thank you for the honesty. I, I, I hear born again, but that's, that's something that's never happened to me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. 
You know, even if you're here and you're saved, can I just remind you, you, you shouldn't be negotiating your Christian life with the Lord. Well, you know, I'll be the kind of Christian that I think is good enough. How about today, all of us just completely submit, say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Those of you that raised your hands, thank you. That took courage. That, that's not easy. Thank you for your honesty. There's an invitation now for you. You're not in the Old Testament. You don't have to do the good works and then wait for Jesus to show up. Jesus has already showed up. He can come into your heart today, right now, right where you're at. You can bow the knee right where you're at. And I mean that. While we're praying, you can just quietly, no one will look quietly. You can just go to your knee and say, Lord, I submit to you. Please save my soul. I can't have life without you. Please save me. In just a moment, I'm going to close. Sinner, if you want to be saved now, you can do that. If you have questions, you find me afterwards. And I'll do my utmost to help you. Father, thank you for sending your son to do what those bulls and goats could never do to take away our sins. Lord, we want to do the best we can with what you've revealed to us and you have revealed your righteousness in the form of your Son. We can't do better than that. Please help those that raised their hands, Lord. They, they, they had courage enough to do that. God, please help them now to have the courage to bow the knee to admit their sin and allow you to change them. Lord, help all of us. Help all of us to learn from this lesson today, to be the innkeeper, to take care of those that are half dead. Thank you, Lord, for pouring in the oil and wine all those years ago into my life, bringing me to an end, taking care of me. Help us, Lord, as we go out to be looking for opportunities to help others, not to run away, but to run to them. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here today. Hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday and get home safely.